0: Yeah.
1: tell the story of this young boy walking in the street and he meets the family's old friend, an Indian doctor from the Far East, somebody steeped in the Far Eastern spiritual traditions. Hey Sammy, the doctor says, I haven't seen you in so many years, you've grown up. How is dad? How is mom? How is your uncle? And Sammy says, unfortunately, my uncle is very ill. And the Indian doctor tells him, he says, you go and tell your uncle that he's not really ill. It's all in his mind. He thinks he's sick. But it's all in his own imagination and fantasy. It has to do with his own experience of self and consciousness. He's not ill. He just thinks he's ill. Okay, if that's what you say. Two weeks later, the boy is walking again in the streets meets the Indian doctor. Hey, Sammy, how is your uncle doing? He says, my uncle thinks he died. The pain that people experience in life is not only in people's minds. It's part of reality, and often very raw and painful reality. And it's this theme we are going to explore and discuss this evening. Because when one examines the weekly Torah portion of Emor, in the book of Ayikra, in the book of Leviticus, one is struck by the fact that the portion of Emor seems to have very poor structure. Or, to be more blunt, no structure at all. If you open up the portion of Emor, it begins with the subject of death. How the Kohen, the priest, the descendant of the family of Aaron, under usual circumstances ought never to come in contact with a corpse in order to maintain his ritual and spiritual purity. That is the first subject in Emmer. Then the portion continues to deal with various bodily defects and blemishes. And how a Kohen, a priest, who has these bodily blemishes, cannot serve in the holy temple, in the sanctuary, or later in the Beit HaMikdash. Although he or she can eat from the sacrifices, he cannot serve as a Kohen in the temple. Then the portion of Emer goes on to discuss the laws of spiritual impurity, called Tumah. And how again the Kohen must be careful not to serve in the temple or eat any of the holy sacred food of the temple while in a state of ritual impurity. Then Amor continues to discuss animal blemishes and how only completely healthy and wholesome animals can be brought as offerings to God in the temple. Then the portion of Emmer moves on to discuss one's obligation to bring an offering of gratitude to God upon experiencing good fortune in life. When a person is saved from a dangerous or potentially dangerous situation, he or she offers a unique offering called Karban Toda, an offering of gratitude, of thanks. And the Torah says how this offering can only be eaten on the same day when it is offered. At this point, the portion of emmer goes on to enumerate the five primary festivals and holidays in the Jewish calendar, in addition to the weekly holiday of Shabbos. We discover Passover, Pesach, the first holiday, followed by Shavuos, followed by Rosh Hashanah, followed by Yom Kippur, followed by Sukkot. These are the five biblical festivals each year in the Jewish calendar. Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. The portion then goes on to discuss the mitzvah of kindling the menorah. Each night... When the priest Aaron or his children in the sanctuary would kindle the seven-branched candelabra so that it burn from evening until morning. Then the portion goes on to discuss the mitzvah of placing each Shabbos 12 new loaves of bread on the table on the shulchan in the holy temple. The bread was baked each Friday, the new bread, and placed on the table in the temple on Shabbos. The Kohanim would then eat on the Shabbos the old bread, the bread of the earlier week. Then, in a sudden twist, the portion continues to relate a tragic episode. It occurs at one point while the Jewish people are traveling in the Sinai Desert after their liberation from Egypt. A man, whom the Torah identifies as having a Jewish mother and an Egyptian father, entered into a quarrel. ...with another Jewish man. And in the midst of the fighting, this person curses God in the presence of many a Jew. They place him under guard until Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, relates to the people the commandment of God... ...that this person who cursed God receives the death penalty through stoning. The portion then goes on to conclude with the laws, some laws regarding the prohibition of murder... And damaging the property of another human being and the consequences of these acts. And finally, the last scene is how the person who cursed God was actually stoned by the people. Thus concludes the portion of Emmer. Now it's logical to assume, as we see it throughout the Bible, that each portion... Although sometimes it encompasses diverse aspects, has a singular theme pervading it, sometimes explicit, sometimes more subtle. It's difficult to find a portion with such random structure as M, or seemingly no theme at all. What is the relationship between all of these seemingly disjointed ideas? What is their logical sequence? If they're in one portion, there must be some unifying, pervading theme. The first three themes of the portion, new. Again, the issue of death and kohanim, who must under usual circumstances stay away from a corpse. Theme number one. Theme number two, bodily blemishes which make a Kohen unsuitable to serve in the temple. Theme number three, spiritual impurity, which a Kohen must be careful not to become spiritually contaminated if he wants to serve in the temple or eat from the holy food from the food of the sacrifices. These three themes, the death, bodily blemishes, and spiritual impurity, we still see the structure as they all pertain to the unique status and sacred quality and lifestyle of the Kohanim, of the priests. But after that, the portion goes on to discuss seemingly disconnected themes. Bodily blemishes of animals, and how they are not suitable to be offered as sacrifices in the temple. Next, the toda, the offering of gratitude. From all of the offerings discussed in the beginning of the book of Leviticus, only this one is introduced here in the portion of emmer. And then suddenly we go on to the theme of the holidays. Shabbos, Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Then we go on to the menorah. We go on to the showbread. And finally we discuss the person who curses God. What is the structure? What is the theme? What is the logical sequence of all of these ideas? And yet, upon deeper reflection, Astonishingly, we discover a profound singular theme pervading this entire portion of Emmer. And I think we could sum it up this way. How does one deal with the feelings and the reality that we are so vulnerable and frail in this world? Go back and re-examine the portion of Emmer. And we have here a developing tapestry of the great fears, challenges, challenges and concerns that the human being ought to confront during his or her journey on earth. If we revisit the portion, we will see that the first half of the portion is essentially dealing with five themes. Because our vulnerability... Our inability to have full control over our lives expresses itself particularly in five areas. And they are articulated subtly in the first five subjects dealt with in the portion of Emmer. First and foremost, Emmer confronts the reality of death. Nobody lives forever. You sometimes know somebody your whole life. You develop the deepest relationship with them. And then one day, they're gone. The mystery, the pain, the shock, the sense of loss, and perhaps above all, that sense of finality. This person you will not see again. You will not be able to talk to again. You will not be able to listen to again. This is the first, most painful reality of living. A child loses a parent. God forbid a parent loses a child. Siblings, friends, close familial relationships. The reality of death touches each human being Sooner or later, hopefully only later. Then there is the second theme in MR. Bodily blemishes. This represents the struggle of physical handicap or ill health. Devastating to so many individuals who don't have the good fortune of having a full developed and healthy body. It includes the struggle of aging when the capacity that one had during young years are not here anymore it includes all forms of bodily blemishes, handicap, limitations and illness this is the second major painful reality humans confront in life the struggles of health and then there is a third theme in emmer we discussed the death which is the beginning of MR bodily blemishes, and then there's the third theme, spiritual impurity, representing deeper psychological and spiritual wounds in life. These are the emotional struggles we have, the spiritual voids. Even if we are completely healthy physically, we have no handicap. The body is in perfect shape and condition. Yet there is often internal strife, anxiety, loneliness, angst, despair, often very painful. The mental challenges that some people have are often far worse and devastating even than physical challenges and sometimes much less noticeable and often elicit far less empathy for others who don't understand mental, psychological profound challenges. This is represented by the term of Tumma, the spiritual impurity. You don't recognize it on the body. It's not a physical blemish. But what happens internally in the human condition can often be very painful and devastating. And then there's the fourth theme in MR. Financial insecurity, represented by the concept of animal blemishes, the deficiencies in our property. You can be healthy, physically, psychologically, but the stress of money of making a living, of making ends meet, of paying bills, covering debt, running a business, can often be overwhelming and drain us profoundly. Especially in times of recession and economic meltdown, but even in the best of times. The struggle of money, of finances, that every person has. You have to support yourself, your family, and all the other financial responsibilities you have. They create a burden and a heavy challenge in life. For some people it becomes absolutely overwhelming. They have no day, they have no night, they have no tranquility, they have no serenity. Hence we come to the fifth major issue we confront in life. And this is our general sense of insecurity and vulnerability in this world. And thus the need to be grateful for each and every blessing in our life. For each and every day in our life. This is represented by the carbon toda, The offering of gratitude that is brought upon good fortune in life. And can only be eaten during that day. Not the next day. Representing that we know full well. That my luck today may not last me tomorrow. There are no guarantees in life. Each day deserves another thank you. Each day is another miracle. This demonstrates to us how little control we have. Today I may be on top of my game, on top of the world, and I say thank you. Comes the Torah and says this offering you can only eat today. You can't eat it tomorrow. Tomorrow requires a separate thank you. A separate miracle. This is a painful realization when we realize really how little control we have. You know, today's day demonstrates this point so dramatically. Just a few years ago, there were so many people who truly felt they were on top of their game. They did all the right things. They were smart, thought out, calculated, logical. They worked hard. They saved up the way they should have saved up. Everything seemed to fit perfectly. And some felt a certain sense of entitlement. Feinschmeckers, higher caliber people who did it right and did it well and worked hard and had enough saved up. And then comes a crash and a meltdown. And people suddenly discovered that in truth we have very little control. As much as we control our lives and as thought out as we are, We're ultimately very frail and vulnerable. This is represented by the carbon toda. You need to give a special offering of thanks. It cannot be taken for granted. But on the other hand, this can generate a very powerful sense of insecurity and vulnerability and frailty. So these are the five themes in the beginning of Ammar. In a subtle way, conveying the five major painful realities of life which each of us must confront at one point or another death, loss of a loved one physical handicap limitations and illness psychological and spiritual turmoil wounds and anxiety number four, financial stress number five, a sense of insecurity this world how do we deal with these five realities how do we approach these realities how do we develop perspective vis-a-vis these five realities this is the story of Amar. this is the underlying theme pervading the portion of Mr. Hence, following these five first themes, the portion now continues to discuss five holidays in the Jewish calendar. At first glance, no relationship. Death, bodily blemishes, impurity, spiritual impurity, animal blemishes, offering of gratitude, and the holidays. What's the relationship? The deeper layer, however, when we explore the deeper layer of Emmer, the second half of Emmer, discussing the five holidays in the Jewish calendar, present us with an approach, if not an answer, to the first five dilemmas in the beginning of Emmer. So the five festivals in the second half of Emmer, represent a five-step program of birth, spirituality, renewal, transcendence, and surrender. As an approach to deal with the circumstances of loss, handicap, psychological wounds, financial stress, and the sense of insecurity in the beginning of the Porsche. Let us now go through the five holidays and see how this approach develops. Pesach, Passover. Pesach is described as the holiday of birth. It's the time when the Jewish people were born collectively as a people and thus a time of birth individually as well. There's in fact a whole chapter in the prophet of Yechestel Ezekiel. And you have it in your curriculum on below the video, where he describes the process of the exodus of Egypt, Yitzias Mitzrayim, liberation from Egypt, as a process of birth. The Jewish people were born. Till then, they were slaves, similar to a fetus in the womb of its mother. They were consumed, they were swallowed up by the Egyptian nation with no independence, No autonomy, no freedom, no liberty on Passover. They were set free at last. Born in the image given of the fetus emerging from its mother's womb. As an independent, viable child. The theme of birth is the theme of Pesach. And the theme of birth is critical. In order to develop an approach to loss. Because what the Torah is subtly intimating here is this. If you wish to understand the mystery of death, because above all, death is such a mystery, a painful mystery. You must first examine the mystery of birth. We are not here on our own. We came into this world at a singular moment. And we leave at a singular moment. The book of EOV, the book of Job, in the Tanakh, confronts theodicy. The question of why, good, why bad things happen to good people. It's a painful book. EOV is a good man, and yet suffers so much pain. Beginning with loss, the death of loved ones. Illness poverty, and all of the maladies, and the curses, and the hardship that take over Eo's life. And sometimes you look around and there are modern day Job's, people who suffer and experience such profound pain and turmoil in their life. Good people, fine people, wonderful people, innocent people. Job's friends come, they visit him. And they try to explain to him that he's guilty. He's at fault. It's his sins, mistakes, transgressions. Which brought upon him such bad fortune. Job cannot accept that. And ultimately when God speaks to Job. He expresses how upset he is with his friends. Who somehow know how to simplify. And rationalize the pain that their friend Eov is experiencing. But when God does reveal himself to Eov. When God does speak to Job, in chapter 38, it takes 37 chapters to get there. We expect God to give an answer. Why? No such answer comes. Instead, God asks Job many questions. The first question, chapter 38, you have it in your curriculum. Where were you when I founded the earth, Eoph? And he goes on and on to explore nature. Are you there with me when droplets of rain are formed? Are you there with me when rain turns into ice? Do you know the mystery of snow? Do you understand the power of the thunder and of the lightning? Cycles of nature. Process of birth. of Death. And this continues for a few chapters. What is his message to Job? What is he telling Job? Efei Yisabiyozdi Yaretz. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What he's telling Job is, if you do not understand the mystery of the beginning, how do you expect to understand the mystery of the end? We ask why we die. But do we ask why we are born? We mourn, justifiably, the death of a loved one. But are we in touch as well with the unnatural reality of birth? Or do we take birth and life for granted? We see birth and life as natural. And when the soul leaves us and departs from us, we see that as unnatural, shocking, painful, mysterious. That's the natural intuition of the human condition comes God and tells Job, that's true. But death is a mystery, isn't birth the same mystery. We cannot understand why people die, but can we understand why they are born? This is not an answer. This is not an answer which takes away the pain, or the shock, or the stunning reality, or the sense of loss and void that many people grow up with, especially when the loss happens at a young age. But what Pesach represents is the often overlooked truth that every single birth is nothing less than a miracle. Just as the birth of the Jewish people on Passover was nothing less than a miracle. To extract, Lakachas lo Go Go, to extract one nation from another nation, to liberate the Jewish people from the Egyptians was nothing less than a miracle. And it should never be taken for granted. Life is not a given. Birth is not a given. Birth is God saying, I want you here for this particular period of time to fulfill a mission. At one moment in time, God breathes a soul into our tiny bodies. And at one moment in time, God reclaims that sacred soul back to Him. Birth He exhales exhales, and death is when He inhales. I once read a story, a very painful story, about a uh, child who was terminally ill. And uh, during a conversation this child had with its, with its mother, the boy turns to his mother and says, You know, mommy, what will happen to me after I die? What will remain of me? What will become of me? And the mother responded to her child. She said, you know how sometimes you don't go to sleep in bed. You rather fall asleep on the couch or on a chair or on the floor somewhere in the house. And what does mommy do then? Mommy comes to you in the middle of the night and with love lifts you up. Cuddling you, embracing you, and carries you silently to your bedroom, to your bed, to the place where you belong. There will be a moment, the mother tells the child, when God too will come, cuddle you, embrace you, and take your soul back to its place, where it was thousands of years before you were born, and where it continues to live after you pass on. There are a few words that can describe the experience of loss. And those of you listening, watching, who have experienced loss in their life, know what I talk, talk about. Those who have not, thank God, may you never experience the sense of loss ultimately there's no intellectual satisfying logical philosophical rationalization or answer people who give answers especially people who give fast swift answers are either very foolish very cruel or simply out of touch out of touch with reality out of touch with people Pesach like the book of Job is not an answer but it does give us an approach and the approach it gives one is remembering don't take birth for granted don't only ask why somebody dies also ask why are they born what's the purpose of their birth what is the meaning of being what is the meaning of existence If we don't take that for granted, if we, I'm sorry, if we take that for granted, if we don't ask that question, death is absolutely inexplicable. But when we understand that life is a journey, and it's a journey which begins at the first moment, that miracle, we also understand that death is another stage in this journey, albeit a stage we never appreciate. And one that defies our imagination, shocks our systems, for good reason. The second holiday is Shavuos. Shavuos corresponds to the second theme of emmer, physical handicap, physical challenges, bodily blemishes, bodily challenges, the challenges of health. Without the Torah, Shavuos being the holiday when the Jewish people received the Torah at Sinai, the challenges of a limited body can indeed be devastating. There have been cultures and civilizations which could not tolerate a body that was not in perfect condition. The Greeks, the Romans, the Greeks themselves, a very highly developed culture, particularly in Literature, architecture, art, music, and yet during the reign when Greek culture, philosophy, and the Greek Empire reigned the world, the practice often was a child who was born physically deformed was not given the chance to live. The zenith of human accomplishment was a perfect physique, a strong body displayed in its nakedness, often in ancient Greece. Representing the might, the prowess, and the power of the human being. Judaism, too, appreciates a healthy body and cautions us and commands us to take care of our bodies. To nurture our bodies, not to abandon our bodies as many people do. Not to neglect our bodies. The body has its own music, its own voice, its own energy. The body is sacred in the Jewish tradition. But the Torah serves as a document through which we appreciate our bodies as conduits for our souls. Not as independent deities. While other traditions concern themselves primarily with aesthetics of the body... The Torah's central focus has been on ethics, claiming that aesthetics is valuable only when it's an outgrowth of ethics. So the body is precious and valuable and holy, and we must take care of it, but it's not the essence of our dignity and our power. It's not the beginning and the end of human dignity. It's a vehicle, is what the Torah teaches. It's here to serve God, not to become a god. There is a blessing we say on Shavuos, as we say on other holidays and many occasions in life. Blessed are you, God, King of the Universe, who has given us life and given us existence and brought us to this time. The order seems strange. He has given us life. He has given us existence. Existence precedes life. There are objects which exist but are lifeless. A corpse exists but it's lifeless. Should have we not then said, Baruch ata Hashem Elokeinu you have given us existence. Vechiyonu, you have given us life. First existence, then life. No, first comes Shekimonu and then Vekiyonu. And one of the answers given for this in the works of Jewish spirituality is... That often when we look at existence, we can ask the question, should we really be thankful for existence? Sometimes existence is fraught with so many challenges and so many difficulties. Can we say, Baruch Ata Hashem Melech HaOlam. Maimonides, the Rambam, in his book, Morin Guide to the Perplexed, quotes an Islamic, an, an Arab an, an, an his, an philosopher, an Arab philosopher, an Arab philosopher, he quotes, who was calculating the times of a person's life when he or she is genuinely happy versus the times in life when you're either unhappy or just melancholy, dejected, or just not happy, bored, lonely, a little depressed. Now ask yourself, during the day or during the week, count the times when you really are happy, when you say, ah, it's great to be alive, versus the times when life is just boring or stressful or worse, you're in a bad place, you're melancholy, you're dejected. And tell me, tell yourself, which exceeds the other. And then often, of course, the times of unhappiness are far more than the times of happiness when you could say, ah, this is what makes life worth it. This is what makes life worth living. So if we would begin with, Baruch Atah Hashem, lekenum, the question is, existence is existence really something we should be grateful for? The famous Talmud and Ereven, Tracted Erevin, where the sages concluded, Adam It would have been much easier for a person not to have been created, rather than to have been created. In the neighborhood where I grew up, there, was, uh, there is a Jew who likes saying lachayim. You may call him a, a seasoned alcoholic. And he once told me an insight, a cute insight. The opening verse of the Torah is, Bereshesh, Bara, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. So Rashi writes the first Rashi, Amr, Yitzchak, Hayat, Sarich, The Torah didn't have to begin this way. The Torah should have began another way. So he explained, he says, the opening verse is, Bara, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. So Rashi says, Amr, Eb, Yitzchak, There was really no need for it. Because often the pain of existence is very difficult. People, yes, drink. They drink alcohol to drown their sorrow. They fail to realize that sorrow floats. This was another quote I heard from this man. And so Shekhimanu, you can't begin the blessing with Shekhimanu. You begin the blessing with Shekhiyanu. Shachianu, He has given us life. Doesn't only refer to physical life. It refers to that statement we say each night in the evening services, Kiheim Chayenu The Torah represents our life. Or in the Amida we say, Torah Schemim, You have given us a Torah of life. The Jewish people refer to Torah as life. Torah Schemim, Kiheim Chayenu. God, you have not only given us physical life, you have given us the Torah. Then once you have the Torah, now you can be thankful for existence. Because Torah gives meaning and dignity to every moment and experience of life. Torah never tolerated the notion that if the body is not in its full optimal health, a body is often handicapped. Some people are born with handicap. Some children are not fully developed. Torah never says their life is any less valuable than the life of a perfectly muscular, strong body. Because the value of life is not defined only by physical terms. And the dignity of a human being is not defined exclusively by the body. Yes, the body is precious and holy and sacred and we must nurture it. But Shavuos gives us an approach. That even a body which has limitations, and everybody is ultimately limited, that everybody, face, everybody faces its mortality and faces the reality of aging, and it's one of the most difficult realities of life. But with the Shachiyanu, with the sense of purposefulness that the Torah gives to every moment and experience of life, the Torah recognizes that life is a roller coaster and believes that every moment is permeated with an opportunity to serve God through the particular circumstances of that moment and the limitations of that moment, that gives us an approach of meaning to help us deal with the difficult challenge of an imperfect body. Rosh Hashanah, the third holiday. This corresponds to the third reality we deal with in Emor, spiritual impurity representing Emotional turmoil, spiritual wounds, psychological challenges, and mental pain. What is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah, the opening day, the beginning of a new year. The opening of the Aseris and Re-Truvah, of the ten days of return and repentance, allows us the opportunity for psychological and spiritual cleansing and renewal. The Tanya famously states, and you have it in your curriculum, that on each Rosh Hashanah, a new light comes down. An energy which you can tap into, which has never before flowed or vibrated in the universe. Rosh Hashanah is not just a day that we create as the new year. There is a new energy you can tap into on Rosh Hashanah, which allows you to begin with a clean slate, to begin anew. Rosh Hashanah is of course the day when Adam and Eve were created. Adam and Eve, the first human beings, were created. Each of us then is recreated on Rosh Hashanah. And how were Adam and Eve created? So Genesis tells us in Veratius, God created Adam, but God created the first human being, Adam and Chava, who were like Siamese twins, attached. so they were attached. Shearing the same back, God created Adam Salmo in his image. B'tzalem Elokim Barah Oso in the image of God. But what is the meaning that God creates Adam and Eve in his image? Doesn't the Bible, doesn't the Torah tell us again and again that God has no image? Moses, Moshe warns the Jewish people, don't carve out an image of God. God has no image. God is imageless. And yet in the beginning of the Torah on Rosh Hashanah, The first Friday of creation, Yom Hashishi, Adam and Chavah are created in God's image, and one of the answers and explanations for this, one of the simplest and deepest answers, is that precisely is the message: God has no image, no fixed image. When we say the human being was created in God's image, it means that the human being, in truth, also has no image. We do have an image. We do have a personality. We do have an identity, but deep down the person has no fixed image because you're created in God's image. God has no image, which means you can choose to recreate your image. We are not slaves to our fixed identity. I can choose my image. Yes, it's often very tough, it's often very challenging we have wounds we have natural reactions and instincts based on the experiences of our life we develop attitudes we develop insecurities we develop fears we develop guilt we develop shame and often we live based on that image which we develop comes the Torah and says on Rosh Hashanah you're recreated in God's image God has no image you also don't have an image you can recreate your image You have the choice to redefine yourself. So Rosh Hashanah doesn't always give the answer to all of the psychological and spiritual wounds we have. But it does give us the energy to be able to stand up and, to the best of our ability, choose our course in life. Recreate ourselves anew. Redefine your attitudes, your perspectives, your energy, your choices and who you are because you have no image you can create it you can choose it Yom Kippur Yom Kippur corresponds to the fourth theme in MR financial insecurity financial stress represented by the animal blemishes on the holiest day of the year Halakha tells us, you have it in cur- your curriculum, the Jewish people are compared to heavenly angels. One day a year we transcend our physical identities, we don't eat, we don't drink, we dress in white, we're in shul praying all day. This grants us the gift of liberating ourselves from the power that money and physical properties hold over our lives. One day a year, you're not a physical creature. Sure, You have a body, you're still a human being here on earth with all of the limitations of a human being. And yet, Yom Kippur, there is an energy which allows us, to a certain degree, to experience ourselves, to experience yourself like your soul was before you were born. This is the meaning that Yom Kippur were like angels. Before you were born, you were a soul. You're still a soul. It's not just you have a soul... In your body. You are a soul. Your soul has a body too. This helps us remember. That money is a tool. It's a means. It's not an end. Of course we need money. But we are not money. We are transcendent. So Yom Kippur. May not remove all of the financial stress of the whole year. But it helps us experience a day of transcendence, so that when we come back, we have a proper perspective on money. There was a chassid, remendel futafas, he would always say in Yiddish, he would say, de When you lose money, you lost nothing. Money comes and money goes. When a person loses health, God forbid, he or she lost half of their identity. They lost their bodies or part of their bodies, but they still have a soul. But if you lose your courage, you've lost everything. Yom Kippur then is the antidote. Yom Kippur is the approach, the perspective. Work hard. Make money. Be successful. Sometimes it's stressful. But let that not become you. Don't worship money. Don't become defined by money. It's not the exclusive reason for your status, for your dignity, for your success. Money is a vehicle. Money is a tool. Yom Kippur helps us re put our life. Reshape our perspective. Replace ourselves in the context of life vis a vis money. Sukkus. Sukhas corresponds to the fifth element in Emmer. The issue of insecurity in this world when we feel how frail we are. Nobody is invincible. Living for seven days or eight days in a hut, outside of the security of your beautiful mansion or your home built of brick and mortar, represents our coming to grips with the truth that in reality we own nothing and we control nothing. We live in a sukkah. We find solace in the sukkah surrendering our lives and future to the protection of God's embrace, represented by the walls of the sukkah. In Kabbalah, the walls of the sukkah are described as yeminot techapkeni, God's embrace. When we become saturated with this awareness, we're grateful for each breath and for each day, and we're happy each day. You can live in a home of mortar and bricks, you feel the security that comes from you, and that you're protected by this powerful home. But it's an illusion, it's a dream, it's not real. A tsunami comes and the home is swept away. Physical tsunami or a psychological tsunami. The sukkah tells us here, my friend, come into my environment. Your environment, the walls of a sukkah, the walls of a sukkah are often very frail, very weak. But the sukkah is a metaphor for life. You're in a sukkah, but you're embraced. By God's arms, you're in God's bosom, you're in God's presence, He hugs you. You know there are two types of sukkahs, Halachically, you can have two walls and a little bit of a third wall. Of course better, three complete walls or four complete walls. And the Kabbalah explains that when you give a hug with your right arm, so the arm has three sections, we have from the shoulder till the elbow, and then from the elbow till the wrist, and then the actual palm of the hand. So these are the two walls of the sukkah and then the little part of the third wall. If you want a real uh, teddy bear embrace, uh, a bear hug, then you build the four walls, the complete four walls. But the sukkah is God's embrace of the human being. And then you can experience joy. Zman simchaseinu. Sukkah is the great holiday of Jewish joy, of Jewish celebration. What's the celebration? Celebration is as long as you have this fictional sense of power and protection you could never really be happy because the happiness is very temporary it's very dependent on that type of protection only when you really surrender only when you become completely vulnerable when there are no more defense mechanisms, when you enter into a psychological, emotional and spiritual and on sukkah a physical sukkah this gives a person a new approach To the insecurities of life. It's like when you're in the ocean. You can't fight the waves. You have to surf. You have to go together with the waves. They go up. And they go down. And that's the art. Of navigating the tumultuous waves of life as well. Remembering that you're always in God's embrace in the sukkah. This is really the theme of every Shabbos. Every Shabbos. Reminds us of the miracle of birth, creation, spirituality, renewal, transcendence, and surrender. No work on Shabbos. And that's why the first holiday Emor discusses is Shabbos as an antidote to the five fears and major issues of life. But yet, each one of these five themes encompassed in Shabbos has a special. Focus and emphasis on one of the five holidays of Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So following these holidays, we then have the ability to kindle a menorah each night of our life, to live a bright and shining and luminescent life, despite the challenges in the world. May Erev at Boker, even when nighttime comes, when darkness comes, we can still kindle the flame of hope and the glow of optimism and faith and confidence. And yet here, we are confronted with a new challenge. And here we come to the last theme in MR. This realization can cause a person to develop very deep resentment towards God. Why does God hold so much power over my life? This can even lead one to curse God. Was it Nietzsche, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, if there is a God, I want to be God. Why does he have the control? Why am I the puppet? Birth, spirituality, renewal, transcendence, surrender. I want the power. I want to be the the superman. These feelings can lead a person to get very angry at God. Very resentful towards God. Even cursing God. This is what happens in MR. You confront the five major issues in life. We have the Torah's approach with the five holidays. And yet a person doesn't want to accept this. I want to be God. Why is, this the way how it, why is this the way of reality? Why am I so weak? Why am I so frail? Why does God get all the power? Who gave it to him? And the result of that is stoning. Rabbi Shnei Zaman of Liadi in Lekut explains, Skila stoning is not just a physical punishment. Every element in Torah, every story in Torah has a deeper psychological layer. Stoning represents when you have it in your curriculum, your heart becomes stone-like. Unmoved, cold, there are people whose heart becomes stone-like. No fluid, no liquidity. They become one big hard stone. Tough, cold, often bitter resentful not moved not excited no vibrations no spirit no joy because when i curse god when i ultimately resent and become bitter who am i really cursing who am i really detaching myself from who am i giving up on You see, we often make a mistake when we look at God as some heavenly reality above us, very, very strong guy who has the power to punish and has the power to reward. And I say, why you? Who are you? I can't live with the feeling that I'm so mediocre, I'm so insignificant. But as Kabbalistic and Hasidic literature explains so well, God is not only above, God is within. In other words, God is another term for your own core of reality detaching from god doesn't mean you're detaching from a monarch detaching from god essentially means you're detaching from the essence of reality from your own core from your own essence so when you can't accept god in a way you can't accept your own depth your own reality so you become a heart of stone you become bitter in life it affects you more than anybody else you become alienated from yourself you cannot accept the god inside of you God, the way Kabbalah and Hsidis explain it to us, is not to be understood as some type of reality outside of ourself. God is the only true reality. We live and exist within God. Substitute the word God for the word, the reality of realities. We live in God. We live in reality. We're part of God. God is not above us. God is another form of reality, so we exist in God. So there's no competition between you and God. God is just another term for your own essence. This doesn't mean there's no God outside of man. It means there's no man outside of God. Don't confuse it with Spinoza's pantheism. And when we can't embrace that core, we curse God. Somebody curses God, it's a way of cursing yourself. In Yiddish, when you say he cursed somebody, you say es He's cursing himself. You know, I point a finger at you. I'm also pointing four or three fingers at myself.
0: Have a good night.